everyone. Morning. Morning. Barry was so nice. And I told him that I probably wouldn't be so nice about him. <laughs> and he said he, he could redo the video if needed. So I was like, well, we'll see. Um, I've known Barry a long time, like you said. Um, I met Barry and Megan. They were at our church that we were going to, that I grew up at in Santa Fe Springs. And um, they were on staff, and, we would, and they had an apartment on staff. And so when I started dating Elizabeth, we would just go and hang out at their house because there were these cool, older married people, right? I don't know. Barry's like, what, a year or two older than me? So, but I'm like, oh, these cool, but they have their own place. We don't have a place. You know, we can hang out. And we would hang out, and Megan would cook, you know, large amounts of food at a moment's notice because that's Megan. And she would just, let's make cookies and spaghetti. And so I'm like, okay, um, that's great. I don't have any money, so you giving me food is ideal. Um, and so Barry and Megan were a part of our dating life, obviously. I was at his house, I remember the night before I proposed, and they had a, an engagement party for us at their apartment the next day, and both Barry and Megan were in our wedding. They were both uh, in, uh, in our uh, bridal party, and a young three-year-old, Micah Mulock, was our ring bearer, who uh, promptly <laughs> fell asleep on the stage and during the ceremony, and, had, and had, Barry had to carry him out uh, as they exited. So now Micah's like 20, and like, punk and like I don't know like I can't even handle it I can't handle it when I when I met Barry there was there was no Gavin there was no Grace there was just Micah and and like a nine-month-old Blake and that was it and uh and now they've they've grown here so um this morning I'll be speaking to you I hope you can understand me I don't have an accent so I'll be pronouncing words the way you do um so I don't know if that's going to be a problem uh, but, you know, that's all right. Uh, so this morning, uh, I wanted to talk about and share some biblical wisdom for um, how to live this Christian life that we're called to live, that we've chosen. We've chosen Christ, uh, many of us here, and hopefully all of us here, but I'm not going to assume that. Uh, we can talk about that later. Uh, if you've chosen Christ, you've chosen a life, his life. You've chosen the life he's called you to. And so we want to talk about a bit of wisdom for that on how to live that, how to live a life in the Spirit, how to live a victorious life, as we've been speaking about this morning. It was wonderful how the Spirit works these things together. Um, and so we're going to talk about soul care is kind of just what I want to call it. We're going to talk about how to care for your soul. Um, in general, uh, you know, psychologically or whatever you want to talk about, we are kind of comprised of you know, kind of uh, our soul is, if you want, is in three parts. In the very center, it's like a concentric circles. The very center is our will. And in the center is our will. The will is things that we can decide. It's our decisions. It's our intentions. It's what we decide we're going to do or not do. That is our will. Um, it, uh, wrapped around that is what we would call our mind. This is the, the center of our thoughts, uh, the things that we feel. Our emotions, our, um, our values, what we value in life, and these things affect our will. And then wrapped around that is this body. And so you have a body that is encompassing all that. The body is the, uh, encompasses our behaviors and our actions. We do things with our body uh, that come out of our values and what we decide we're going to do with our will. Uh, they are physical sensations are through our body. You know, the feeling, the touch touch, taste, smell, all the hearing. Uh, and our body is where we also incorporate our habits, the things that we do routinely and where we engage in that. 
And so the soul is kind of wrapped up all around those. Uh, so each of these things affects the health of the soul. So your physical sickness can affect your soul. Uh, your uh, traumatic experiences in life can affect your soul. Your, um, your uh, encouraging words affect your soul. What we eat and what we drink affect our soul. We don't always think about that, but that's true. Think about maybe what you don't eat. When you don't eat, how do you feel? How do you act? A little hangry, right? It comes out. If you don't eat, it affects your soul. It affects your mind. It affects what you, de- what you decide to do or not do. Or you say, I'm not going to do that, but if I'm not eating, then maybe I will. Um, it, uh, what we watch, what we read affects our soul. And so all these things are kind, of, are kind of pulled together. So the soul is prone to becoming unhealthy, whether you're aware of it or not, because of sin. We have sin in our life. There's a, an author, John Ortberg, wrote, wrote that sin is the sickness that our souls have inherited. It just is. So our souls are prone to being unhealthy. They're not... They're not healthy unless something bad happens to them. They're prone to getting unhealthy. They can be unhealthy. And so that's what I want to do is I'll kind of talk a little bit today about taking that look inside, look around, take a bit of time to look and to see what, where am I? Am I moving in a healthy place? Am I going towards unhealthiness? Where am I? Am I doing well? Where am I? Where do I need to, to step up? Where do I need to get, get some help? Um, and so what we're, the reason we're going to we talk about this is because the soul needs to be cared for. You have to care for your soul. Uh, and so what we're going to do talk about today is some new habits maybe or some different habits, different things you can do that can help you care for your soul. Nice and easy, right? Okay, so I'd like to unpack that. Um, so some new habits. Uh, in Deuteronomy 4, uh, chapter 9, I want to show you that the Bible actually supports what I'm saying here today. <laughs> Deuteronomy 4, chapter 9 says, um, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 9 says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Keep your soul diligently, right? We need to, we need to be actively evaluating ourselves. And also, if it's safe, you can have others help you with actively evaluating yourself. Don't just let anybody speak into you about that. That's very, very important. I want to say that. And so be sensitive to that. Identify people if you're going to want input from other people. A, a, uh, an outside interpretation or an outside evaluation, be careful. Because what did I say? Encouraging words can help your soul. Sometimes helpful words turn out to be discouraging words in disguise. And there's not gonna, that's going to not help what we're trying to do. We're trying to get better. So... Um, how do, I, how do you know what a healthy soul looks like, though? How do I look at myself and go, Am I, I don't know if this is good or not. Is this good? I think it's good. Maybe it's bad. Like, I don't feel, I don't know. How do you know? All right, so maybe, maybe there's someone in the Bible that we can look to as an example. Who could this be? Who could this be? Who could we look to in the Bible who had a great, maybe he had really good habits, maybe even great habits. Yes. Oh, thank you. Barry, are you listening? Are you listening, Barry? They did good. They said Jesus. 
Jesus is our example. Uh, Jesus is our example. Who would that person be would be Jesus. You read any of the four Gospels, and you will see a great example, uh, see a great example in Jesus of how to live. And if you read the Gospel of Matthew specifically, Jesus actually calls us to look at him to do what he does. He actually calls us to copy him. So in Matthew 11, 29 and 30, he says, Take my yoke on you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my load is not hard to carry. But what is his yoke? If, the, if Christian, Christianity had not survived in the modern time, no one would know what a yoke is. Right, right. The only reason we know what a yoke is is because right. of this verse. Right. Right? right? No one still talks about yokes. Um, so what is the yoke? Yeah. Right? In, in Jesus' time, first century Palestine area, Mediterranean, Judaism had a, a phrase in, the, in the, the, the teachers of their law would talk about something called, the yoke is, right, it's the thing you put on or a horse or something that, that they pull along something. It's a burden carrier, and it's a way to, to, to work. It's a way of doing work. And the Pharisees and, and teachers of the law and stuff would talk about that if you wanted to commit to God, you would take on the yoke of Torah, which are the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You would take on the Torah, you would take on the yoke of Torah, and that was a good thing. You were to take that on as your burden to carry, and it was a good burden, is what they would say. And Jesus comes in in Matthew, and Matthew is famous for having Jesus saying, yeah, I know what the Pharisees say, but here's what I say. And he says, take on my yoke. And he's like, here's what my yoke is. It's easy to carry. It's a light burden. And you're like, all right. So it was wrapped up in that. It's, it's the commands of the Old Testament law, and now they're encouraged to take them on. No, Jesus says, you know, my yoke. So what does Jesus' yoke consist of? Well, as you read the Bible, here are some things I think Jesus' yoke consists of, what he calls us to do in living. Give to the poor. Love your enemy. Do not lust. Deny yourself. Don't be angry with your brother. Do good things for people who hate you. Honor your parents. Forgive those who betray you. Don't be afraid. Make disciples. So easy, right? What an easy yoke. He says, my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. What? That's not my experience. I mean, maybe in Glendora, that's, it's, you know, way to go. So we've hit our first problem. We've hit our problem. His yoke should be easy, but we find it to be burdensome. Those are all things I go, no, no, maybe, no, no, no. Um, and it's, um, it's, he seemed to think that it should be easy to do. That's what he said, and I'm going to believe what he said. He seemed to think, this is, this is something you could easily could do, but that ain't my experience. <laughs> um, you ever watch someone do something and they make it look so easy? Right? We are uh, baseball fans. We live down in Orange County, so we're Angels fans. That's all right. I can do Dodgers illustrations, but I'm going to do Angels. So it's like, <laughs> it's like when, when I was a kid or when I was growing up. I can go back into the 80s baseball if you want. When I was growing up, you would have players that you really liked, and I was played on the baseball team in high school. I, I should say I was part of the baseball team in high school. 
I really shouldn't say that I played baseball in high school. Um, I, wore, I wore and I dressed up and I did the, the throwing, uh, warming up. So it was, I had heroes, right? I had baseball heroes that I would follow and I wanted to be like those guys. So what do I do? I look at them, I go, what are they doing? Like, how's he hitting so well? Oh, he pulls his sleeve up before he bats. Okay, that's clearly what I need to be doing to hit better. Or he would wear, he, he was number 22, so if I have a choice, I'm going to want to be number 22. It will help my, my hitting, right? Um, uh, if, I have the, the, if I have the cleats, if, I, you know, if I'm playing basketball, what if I have Air Jordans? Clearly, my jump shot is increased 50%, right? <laughs> Clearly. It's, what is, what is he doing? He like kind of, he doesn't curl his hat. He has it flat. So I should do, like, I should be doing these things. Or I watch that, you know, he always takes the first pitch. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to always take the first pitch because that's what, that's what he does. And that's, he's successful. Um, so what, what, maybe what we find so difficult is that we're frustrated because we're, we're trying to copy Jesus's public actions without any regard to his private life, right? So we need to follow the pattern of his overall life. So not just the highlights. Uh, Dallas Willard, if you've ever read, I'm going to quote him a lot because I really like him. Uh, Dallas Willard says, the the -the on-the-spot episodes are not the place where we can, even by the grace of God, redirect unchristlike but ingrained tendencies of action toward sudden Christlikeness. He says that if you live a life that's pattern and routine is not Christlikeness in a certain place, when on the spot and the opportunity presents itself to be and do the right thing and you don't do it normally, it is almost impossible to all of a sudden become Christlike. Ah, yes, now I'm ready. Here we go. You know, I've never done this before, but here's the opportunity, and uh, I've never practiced this ever. But, you know, we, we sometimes can get into a mindset of, okay, God uses everybody every place, any, any place in life. It's absolutely correct. However, part of our transformation and our growth involves us doing some work. If you think that the Holy Spirit is so powerful, he does everything either without you or even against your will, that's incorrect. That's not biblical. It's not, uh, it's not the right way to be thinking. This is a team, right? Part of a team here. Holy Spirit wants to work with us, but work with us. And so the idea is we need to have some prep time. We have done some care. We have to do some practice. We have to have a life that has some Christ-like habits. They might not be perfect or great, but they're moving that way, and then with the opportunity presents itself, we're ready to respond because we've started moving that way. To, to try and not have those habits and then try to act in the moment and have the Spirit do something magnificent can actually turn out to be very dangerous for us. If we're not in a spiritually mature place or if you're in a place of understanding, it can be very dangerous. God knows what he's doing, and God can impact lives, but for us, it can, be, it can be not helpful. So we can't behave on the spot like Jesus did if the rest of our life looks like everybody else's. So this approach is to put the focus of life, and I'm going to go to a biblical illustration here. This method of thinking is to put a focus of life on making good fruit 
which you can't do. <laughs> I can't make good fruit. What my focus should be on is making a good tree. So if we can, I can't go out to my yard and like make fruit. Like I can't speak to it. Like make fruit, make, make fruit. Like it's not growing right now. How do I get it? Just make it. No, what I can do is care for my tree. And the tree goes, I'll, I'll do the fruit. I can do the fruit, thanks. That's my, that's my job. I do the fruit. Who does the fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. I heard it here up here in the morning, this morning. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, right? Self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. They're not my fruit. I don't make those things. I'm in charge of making the good tree. So Matthew 12, 33 to 34. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You offspring of vipers, he's speaking to people that are uh, hostile to him. Not you, are, you are not offspring of vipers. Uh, how are you able to say anything good? <laughs> how are you able to say anything good since you are evil? So they are a bad tree. I'm just reading through the lines there for you. The good person brings good things out of his good treasury, and the evil person brings evil things out of his evil treasury. So what this idea means is that when you totally accept the life Jesus invites us to follow him into, things like generosity, loving people who hate you, all these things, they will seem like the only sensible thing to do. So you take care of your tree, and all of a sudden you go, Oh, I, I, actually, I actually want to help these people. I actually don't hate that guy anymore. I actually feel compassion for this people group. I actually want to give things away that I don't need, and I, I want to help other people because I've taken care of my tree. If I just go, I really should be, I, I feel like I should be, I need to give more. I, I don't want to, but I really should give more. That's trying to make good fruit. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give more, and that will make some good fruit if I give things in the offering. Not, yeah, not really. What it says is you take care of yourself, and we're going to talk about some new habits and developing good habits. And those, if you take those on and cultivate a life in Christ, a spiritual life in the Spirit, then you won't even be paying attention, and all of a sudden you'll say, I, actually, I, I used to not want to do that, but now I totally want to do that. I used to not be a nice person towards this these people, and now I find I, I want to love them. That's really weird, but it's actually very great. Okay, so, so what was Jesus's way of life? What was his practice routine? What was his training routine? That's what we don't see. We don't see the baseball player seven days a week, nine months out of the year, actually 10, spring training, of training, training, training. You have not seen how much that player didn't go to this, didn't go to that when they were growing up, didn't participate in that, didn't go there because they had to invest in so much practice and training and training and they had to sacrifice and they had to give up things so that they could be great at that. And we're like, wow, I sure want to be great at that, but I, I would like to be great at everything and I'd like to be able to do this and do that and I really don't have time for that. <laughs> but I want to be great. <laughs> okay, so it's, it's not so much. So what was his training routine? What prepared him to lead a powerful public ministry of teaching and healing and compassion and service. 
Well, um, today, well, he exemplified what a lot of in Christian circles or in books and things you'll read about are called spiritual disciplines. That's some things I want to talk about today. Spiritual disciplines. They are spiritual in that they involve the Holy Spirit. They're spiritual in that they involve our soul. The soul is not a material substance. It's not a thing. It's spiritual. Uh, and they are disciplines in that they are things that you have to decide to do. You have to discipline yourself to do them. Uh, and they are part of, rooted in the word disciple, right? Which is a, another word for a student or an apprentice. They're things that you have to do to learn the trade that you have said, I want to do. I want to be a follower of Christ. Okay, well, these are some of the things that are going to help you learn the right way. The, you, the follower of Christ does what Christ did. So that's what we want to look at. Um, Dallas Willard is a, uh, he used to, he passed, recently passed away, but he used to be the head of the philosophy department at USC. Not a Christian university, right? Clearly. Um, but it was a powerful Christian man. Very, very uh, attuned to spiritual living and spiritual things. And I think it was amazing that he chose to work and serve in a non-Christian environment and to be an influence as he was. He wrote several books. Um, he has written several books that are somewhat famous. Um, he uh, has been quoted a few times here, and he's written much on this. So I want to look at what his definition of a discipline is. He says, A discipline is something that is in my power to, to do that enables me to do what I cannot do by direct effort. A discipline is something that is in my power to do, but that it enables me to do what I cannot do by direct effort. And he goes on to say, and of course, what I cannot do by direct effort pretty much covers everything Jesus taught. <laughs> uh, disciplines are activities. They are not attitudes. I'm not asking you to maybe necessarily change the way you think. That's difficult to do. Let me just change the way I think. I'm going to change the things that you do, and in it, you will learn Christ's way of thinking. Um, disciplines are not things, they are things we do, they are not character qualities. They're not the fruit of the Spirit. We, we're not making fruit here, we're working on being good tree here. So I'm going to talk about, and some things that I can suggest and talk about biblical wisdom, of how to have a good tree, and we'll let the fruit do its own thing. So, um, typically, Spiritual disciplines, depending on who you look or read or whatever, are divided into different things. And this is the two categories I'm going to do today. Uh, there's going to be disciplines of letting go, and then there's going to be disciplines of activity. So disciplines of not doing something or letting go, and disciplines of taking on and doing. So do you see the balance there? Because God is about balance. God is about balance. It's important to know. Okay, disciplines of letting go. The first one is solitude. Wow, guest speaker comes in, brings solitude. Get alone. Get, you know, wow, we're picking me up here. Okay, solitude is the practice of purposefully spending regular extended periods of time with God and without other people and distractions. It is a time to get alone and to rediscover your own soul. It's it's very rudimentary. The fact that I'm speaking on this is very uh, poignant because it's one of those, my pastor often says that when he speaks, he's really speaking to himself and, and what God's teaching him and letting everyone else listen. And I feel this is very much right now. And I'm like, decided to go with this and was working on it. And I'm like, man, I don't do this stuff very well. Man, I need to do this better. And so 
I am taking on challenges just as much as you guys uh, here this morning, I hope, are. So it's a time to get alone with God and rediscover your own soul. It is not, is not an opportunity to catch up on your reading. It is not an opportunity to um, catch up on your podcasts. Uh, and it is not an opportunity to catch, on, catch up on your Netflix, your Grey's Anatomy, right? We're, we're not, it's not the opportunity. It's not the opportunity for that. It is solitude. Um, Psalm 46.10, be still. Be still, and you are going to know that I am God. Be still. In the stillness, in the solitude, there's going to be some things happening. You might think, why should I get alone? Nothing's going to happen. Yes, yes, it will. It'll be, it might be scary, but it'll get alone, and things will. Um, Jesus himself, it says in Luke 5, Jesus himself frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. Frequently. I don't do this frequently. <laughs> and so we, we probably should. A discipline that, that completes solitude and it's very natural is silence. That's awkward. Silence is golden, but silence is kind of crazy. It makes sense. And there are two types of silence. One is getting away from noise. There's a silence of silence around you. This would include, sorry, 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 worship music. It means solitude and silence. It doesn't have to be five days. <laughs> it can be an hour. But it is no phone. It is not, not, not just off or vibrate, like off. Not even around you would be better. It's some time. And you can choose, you can pick, and maybe I wouldn't suggest right away the five days. But I know people who do weekends a couple times a year. That's just their routine. But you've got to work up to that. Like, that might be a little much. So the two, two types of silence. One, getting away from noise. Two, not talking. <laughs> um, so much of our talking, so much of our talking is arranging how we appear to other people. And so, also, not talking helps with listening. And so, getting silent, getting in solitude, not talking, no noises, and you'll be surprised how much you hear. And I will caution you that you may not hear pleasant things. You may hear God saying, we have, let's talk about something. Let, let me point out some things. I'm, I'm very proud of you for this. You can hear that in silence and solitude. But you also might hear, this, this is not good. I, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't push me away from you. I'm, I, I don't despise you because of this. But it's not, it's not good. This is, I'm going to point out health and unhealthiness. And that's what we're trying to do here, trying to get healthy. And in order to get healthy, there's going to be some diagnosis. And solitude and silence allow for that. Um, solitude and silence go a long way towards eliminating a specific problem in American lives. Hurry. Hurry. Hurry is, is, is well, and, and it's a unique to America. Well, Western culture, let's say. Let's say uh, if I was giving this talk or this sermon in a church in Cambodia or in India or China or maybe Kenya, Hurry would not be necessarily their number one 
thing that they would need to deal with. It would, might be something like fear. And so I would be, we'd be talking about how can we address fear in life as a, as a kind of a number one prominent in-your-face thing of Christian living in those places. We don't not really, we don't really suffer too much with that. We have our things, I'm sure, with fear. But hurry. Hurry is a big thing in the American culture. Hurry exists when you are unable to occupy this present moment. And if you find that you're already somewhere else, then there's some hurry in life. Um, it is different from busyness. I want to distinguish that. Hurriedness is different from busyness. Busyness is a physical thing. You are physically busy. You have a busy schedule. You are moving. You are going here. But in that busyness, you can still use it as a reminder that, man, I need God. <laughs> or you can use it and have places for God in that busyness. Between this commute and here, I take advantage and I'm in my word and I'm in worship or I'm in prayer or I have these opportunities while I'm waiting here. This is where I go to. God is still connected and you're still uh, aware of his kingdom in busyness. Hurriness or hurriedness is where God has been pushed out. And now all that is, is in this, in this moment that I'm in, this task that I'm doing, I'm already on that task. It's gone. I'm over there. I'm over here. I can't, I don't even, it's, it's, it becomes a sickness. Um, busyness becomes physically draining on your body, but hurriedness becomes spiritually draining. And you should, and probably have seen those, the effects and the difference there. Um, solitude and silence are strong antidotes to a life of hurry sickness. There was a line in one of our songs today that said, slow down, take time. Slow down, take time. Find the time in your busyness. If you can't slow down, find the time in it to involve God. Um, I gave this sermon a few months ago at our church, and one of the ladies took my advice. And so she went on a walk in her neighborhood, left her phone at home, was going to have a, just a walk of silence and solitude. And had a great walk. She said it was great. I don't know how long she was gone. 30, 45 minutes maybe. Came back and her phone was blowing up because one of her kids had passed out at school. So she's like, see, what happens when, <laughs> when I do this? And I was like, oh, now she's never going to do it again. And I was like, no. So be responsible in your, <laughs> in your solitude and silence if you need to set up a little. I mean, her kids are in high school and they're fine. Like, it's not like it's a baby. But still, I was like... <laughs> Just passed out. I mean, it's not like it's a big deal. So, and she's fine today. Still alive. So, so but, if, but solitude and silence is, it's take time. Don't abandon your family. I need to, I'm going, baby. I, I need to take care of my life with Jesus, and I'll be back next week. No. <laughs> take care of it. Be responsible. Pick the right time and, and do it well. Is it okay? Let, if I'm going to be gone for a weekend, you don't think I need to talk that over with her? Or if I'm going to be gone for an overnight, or if I'm going to be gone for a couple hours, I need to let you know, first of all, um, part of this thing is silence, since I'm not going to be reachable. So I need to, just, like, that's something you need to prep ahead of time. Uh, okay. So solitude and silence. The, the second one is fasting. Man, bring in the joy to Glendora this morning. <laughs> Solitude, silence, fasting. Here in fasting, I mean 
withdrawing in some significant way from actual food. I know that we talk a lot about uh, fasting social media or fasting uh, these things or fasting this activity, fasting this TV show, fasting TV, things like that. That is, that is true. Those are, those are things that are helping. In this moment here, I want to talk about actual food. Um, because first and foremost, it's the example we have in the Bible. So in Luke 4, 1 through 2, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he endured temptations from the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were completed, he was famished. That's like the realest verse I've ever read in the Bible. He didn't eat anything for 40 days, and he was famished. Yeah! Thank you, Jesus, for being like me. Was it 40 days? I don't know. Bible sometimes uses language of 40 days, means a long period of time. I don't know. But a long period of time of not eating. He was famished. Good. That means he's like me. That means he knows what it's like to be me. So, um, and then there is food that is, and, and symbolically in John, and we'll look at this, John 4, it says, yeah, don't, don't eat food. Abstain from food because I have better food for you. He says, he said to them, these are his disciples, I have food to eat that you know nothing about, John 4. Um, where is it? Here we go. So the disciples began to say to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? Because the disciples are brilliant. Um, and Jesus said to them, uh, it's not in there, but it's really like, I have, food that you don't, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Like, they think he has a stash of like granola bars or something like, are you hungry? No, it's okay. I got food you didn't know I have. He's like, oh, someone brought him some food? And he's like, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to complete his work. That should be our food. The the discipline of fasting quickly, quickly, like quickly, reveals how much of our peace depends on the pleasures and comforts of eating. Have you ever done one meal of fasting? maybe a day of fasting, you want to know how quickly you become aware of, man, something's changed, I don't like it. Quickly, fasting is a way of feasting on God and is very often paired with prayer. It doesn't have to be, but it very often is. It is often to take that time you would be eating and to, and to engage in prayer in that time. So how does this help us? How in the world does a super growly stomach, an angry demeanor, and a headache help me be like Jesus? Right? I don't, because that's what I'm going to have, because that's what I have had when I've done this. Um, How does this help? So Dallas Willard says, fasting teaches us that we have the resources to be sustained and to continue to be strong and good even though we don't get what we want. Do you struggle with frustration and anger, even rage, when you don't get what you want? Try a regular pattern of fasting. Fasting teaches you how to suffer happily. Fasting teaches us that we have the power to say no. The Christian life has some no's in it. Should I, can I do this? No. That's not good. 
There are things, yes, it's wrong. We can say wrong. But God has made these things and says that these things are wrong because they're horrible for you. Right. Horrible for you. They, they disconnect you from God rather right. than bringing you towards God. Right. They hurt your body, which affects your soul, right. we said. Why? Oh, I don't have to care about the body, right? The body's going to be... No, right now the body is intimate with the soul, right? The so how you take care of your body affects your soul, and your soul affects the things in your body. And, and so these things are... The life of a Christian said there are some things that we say yes to, very much we say yes to, but there are things we say no to. And there are things that I have trouble saying no to that I'm supposed to. So how do I get better at that? Saying no is the fruit, right? How do, I, how do I do that? And what is it? We said a discipline is something that I can do that is in my power to do. I can say no to food for a certain amount of time. It's up to you guys and how you work that out. Um, it, something in my power to do, saying no to food, to do what enables me what I cannot do by direct effort. I do find that I have a problem saying no to that thing Jesus says don't do. So I'm going to practice saying no to food, and I'm going to learn that I can do this. I can be sustained when I say no, and I can be okay when I don't get what I want. Jesus is teaching me that lesson. The Holy Spirit is teaching me that lesson in me not eating and in my headache and in my stomach growling. And it's a lesson you keep because that physical thing you remember. Right? You're like, uh, and you've never been so excited about eating something at the end of it, right? And you realize, I can say no, and it's okay. So you've had problems saying no to things? This can be a discipline that can be very helpful to you. And it may not be obvious, like, well, I say no to food, but why would that help me say no to that? Try it. Okay. Fasting teaches us how to say no. The third one, uh, discipline of letting go is simple living. Here's another America challenge for you, those of us who live in the Western world. Um, this isn't one you usually hear about. You hear fasting a lot. You hear silence and solitude. You don't always hear people talk about simple living. Here we are going to abstain from using money and possessions in ways that merely gratify or des our desires or our hunger for status or luxury. We're going to refrain from that. I'm going to look at two verses, uh, actually three. Um, Luke, Luke 14, 33. Not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all his own possessions. <coughs> it doesn't say give them away, sell them. It says to renounce them. You don't have ownership over them anymore. Uh, Luke 12, 15. Watch out and guard yourselves from all types of greed because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Amen. Because America would say, false, one's life absolutely consists in the abundance of my possessions. The more I have, the more life I have, the better life I have, right? That's what America would say. Jesus and Luke, and by the way, notice these both are from Luke. You want to read Luke and be challenged as an American? Or you want to be challenged as an American? Read Luke. Ooh. Luke, like a lot, talks about your stuff. <laughs> like a lot. First um, Timothy 6, 6 through 9 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. The, there's a play on words in there. The great gain is actually the word in Greek is the business word profit. 
So it's a play on words. Not having a lot of stuff is actually profitable business-wise. So it's a money play on words. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I've seen it. I've even been part of it. Wow, if I, you know, when you first get married, you have nothing. Man, it sure would be nice to have a lot of stuff. It sure would be nice to have a big place to live. In my one-bedroom apartment, not cool. I can't have a lot of things. And then you get a, then you get a house, and you're like, 10 years later, sure would be nice to have a one-bedroom apartment. Man, that'd be easy to clean. We'd be done in like an hour. Because right now, or you know what else? Oh, I wish I have a yard. Can't wait to have grass of my own. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I had that. Got it? And I was like, man, someone do this for me, please. I don't want to cut it. I don't want to weed it. I don't want, why is it dying? I don't know. Why is the sprinkler broken all the time? It breaks every week. And I was like, and it, oh. So you're like, it, 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 it's not all. It's not all about that. Simple living is to purposefully stay within the bounds of good judgment so that we can use what we have for God. I love that definition. And this is something you may, this is under the give to the poor thing that Jesus says and give to people and disown your possessions and, he, and you're like, it's not easy to do. No, it's not. But this is, this is a, a spiritual discipline that we're going to work on is I'm going to work on just having less stuff and see what that does to my thinking about stuff. Purposefully get rid of some stuff. Stay within the bounds of good judgment. It involves reasonably differentiating between needs and wants. I'm, uh, we are doing some premarital counseling with some people right now, getting ready, and that's one of the things we're going to be talking about tomorrow night is how in the beginning of our marriage, we, we had difficulty with that distinction. Well, I shouldn't say we had difficulty with that distinction. <laughs> maybe, maybe one of us had a little bit uh, just difference of what a want is and what a need is like multiple purses, is really more of a, a want than, than need, right? Multiple sizes of purses, right, yeah. So um, it became a thing where we have to sit down and I had to educate. So that was a long time ago. Uh, to, properly understand, <laughs> to properly understand this discipline, we should understand the difference between use, possession, and trust. How we use our money and things is where the, is the, is where the problem is that we're trying to target. Um, it is wrong to condemn someone for possessing something. If they possess money and things, that's, that's not wrong to have. Don't condemn somebody for possessing money and things. Uh, you have to possess things before you can use them for God's purposes. So if there is someone in the church who's doing well, making a good living, making a lot of money, it doesn't make them evil. It doesn't make them wrong. Because they now have a great opportunity to share into God's kingdom. And we would encourage them to do that. And the Bible very much so encourages them to do that. You have to possess things before you can use them for God's purposes. And trust in money is universally condemned. So we're going we're gonna to say there's a big problem with trusting in money. 
there's going to be a, an, an eye, a careful eye on how money is used, how things are used, um, what, how you use what you possess. Do you renounce your possessions, like it says in Luke, meaning I'm open to having them or giving them away? I'm open to that, God. That is to renounce your possessions. Uh, so simple living fights against hurry and anxiety and feeling the panicked need to keep up and keep working harder and harder and harder to get the money and the things that will make you feel good and valuable and safe. Because stuff makes me feel safe. If I have stuff in the bag, if I know where things are, I have stuff, I feel safe. And I feel like I have value because I have a lot of things. People value people who have a lot of things. And so we start getting rid of those and we start peeling those off of who our soul is. It starts exposing things that you go, oh, that's, actually I have a problem with the way people see me. That's not good. I should be careful with that. Um, Simple living may involve you purposefully going through your home and pulling a Zacchaeus. Luke 19, Lord, look, half of my possessions I now give to the poor. Simple living might require you to do that, and that's something the Lord will speak to you. I may, you may need to go through and go, I wanted these things, but I don't need them, and I don't know that I can help God's kingdom with them. So, I mean, I'll just, I mean, I can help God's kingdom. I can get rid of them. We're going through a a period of time now in the home <laughs> where we are getting rid of stuff, which is her love language. Decluttering is her love language. Simplifying thing. And we've purposely done this. This is something we really have taken on over the last few years is we don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need that. So you know, let's clean up. Let's get rid of all this stuff we don't need. Let's simplify. Even it comes to clothes in the closet. None of these out. Um... And have you ever heard of a Christian author named Shauna Nequist? No? A couple? She's, my wife loves Shauna Nequist. Uh, Shauna Nequist has a, it was, was it present over perfect? And she has, it's a book of little essays, and she wrote one. And in it, it says, I'm amazed at how many things are ultimately connected. I like living in our home when it's less full of stuff. I know that Elizabeth breathes easier when there's not so much stuff. And when things are in their place, after I mess them up, when they go back to where they're supposed to be, <sighs> like for real, um, I find it easier to get dressed in the morning when I have fewer choices. You know, we've gone through and things like that where we're like, let's just narrow things down. And there's challenges that are out there. There's, I don't know what it is. There's, you know, capsule things where you can go, let's try and pare down our, my whole wardrobe for the next three months to like... 20 things. And you're like, whoa. Can it be done? Of course it can be done. Did you see Kenya? Did you see this? They don't have 20 pieces in their wardrobe. Of course it can be done. You just have to think about, oh, let me change my thinking a little bit. Okay. Okay, now we're going to move into the disciplines of activity. We're getting things where you get to do things now <laughs> instead of getting rid of everything in our life. Okay. <laughs> So here are the disciplines of activity. The first one is study. Okay? It's one of my things. In this discipline, we purposefully place our minds fully upon God and his kingdom by engaging ourselves in the written and spoken word of God. As such, this is the main counterpoint to solitude. 
In solitude, we're getting rid of all these things. We're getting rid of distractions. We're getting rid of songs. We're getting rid of reading. We're getting rid of all these things, and we're just being quiet before God. Now, this is the kind of the antithesis. This is the other end of it. Now we're focused, and we're getting into reading and study. And, um, and, and you'll find uh, that this, as the main counterpoint to solitude, you'll actually find that it's easier to enter into once you've begun a good practice of solitude and silence. Your mind is not as hurried and crazy, and you can study better. You can focus better on God's word and what he's saying. Before that, our minds are overloaded with hurry and distractions. So read, listen, think, ask questions. Um, Spend time thinking about what you see in Jesus, what you see in the written word, in, in, uh, in the Bible, in, the, in the, the reading study that Pastor Barry was talking about. Think about other people that you know that live a godly life. So, what, you know, I'm thinking about them and what they do. What are their habits? They're not gods that you should be patterning yourself on, but think about them. Kind of study, like, well, what are they doing that's different? What can I learn from other people? And also... Spend time thinking about every good and perfect thing in this world, right? Philippians 4, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Not whatever is the Old Testament, whatever is the New Testament, Think about those things. No, it involves that. The old and new Bible fits into this beautifully, but so does the other things of God's world. Do you spend time, do you enjoy it in spending time outside in nature? Do you see in nature God's creation? I do. I, I didn't introduce this or say this when I began. Uh, my job is, my job, day job is I'm a geologist. So I'm an earth scientist. I like being outside and I look at the way the earth works and functions and and study, and I study it, and it amazes me at God. And it drives me into thinking about him, and I go, that's great. That's me thinking about whatever is pure and lovely, whatever is commendable. That's a good thing. Um, if you make an effort to learn regularly, uh, make an effort to learn regularly from good teachers so that you can study better. Just because you start studying doesn't mean you're great at it. You're like, I don't know, read some, read some Bible, I guess. But if you guys, if they have offer classes, you can download classes. You can read a book. Um, you can spend time on thinking of what things that are lovely. Think about art, the beauty of art. Some of you are not into it, but some of you are. The beauty of good music and how God has created that. It's perfectly acceptable. This is part of your spiritual discipline to think about how God is involved in those things. If you just listen to music, just listen to music, that's not really engaging the discipline the way I was thinking. What we want to do is engage the discipline in thinking about how God is involved in this and how he created this world. And in, in doing that, I, uh, if I spend time thinking about those things, I see the wonder of God. The next one is worship. Yeah. There we go. Good. <laughs> worship is a discipline of activity. The study of God's word and his works in our world naturally leads to the next two disciplines we'll talk about. In worship, we think about, and this is very important, and express. We think about and we express the greatness, beauty, and the goodness of God. 
If you've spent time studying and thinking about God and learning about him, reading his word, studying who he is, observing the lives of other people throughout history or who are among you now that are living a godly life, spending time thinking about him and who he is and his creation and what he's done over the years, then the result of this is to assign worth to God. You go, what a, what a great God he is. And naturally, it expresses itself. And that's worship. So if you study God's word, you will see his love and sacrifice. In his works, in our lives and in the world around us, you'll see his love and his power. And in everything good and in everything lovely and in everything excellent, we see the overwhelming creator. That's great. And in that, our worship flows out of it. If you find that you're struggling in worship, which sometimes I have in the past, it might be because you need to go a step back. Have you been thinking about God? Have you been studying? Have you been under, do, do you have a, a thought life or an understanding of who God is? And have you spent time to understand that or to have people help you with it? Because once you do, you understand how great God is. You see him as the creator. You see how powerful and wonderful and good he is in the lives around us. I look at the lives here. These are lives that have been changed by God. Think about those things. Do you guys tell your stories? Talk to people. What's happening in life? What are the great things that are happening in life, in your life, in your life, in your life? Do you share those things? Share them and you'll understand. God's amazing. Maybe you're not having anything in your life at the moment that is amazing, but you hear it in their life and you go, that's amazing. That's great. And now I've learned a little bit more about God. Now, what's happening in your life? And you tell me about it. Now I've learned a little bit more about God. And he really is great. And my natural expression is, let's worship him. And that's how worship falls into this. It is purposeful, though. You don't just accidentally worship. It's purposeful. You need to purposefully study, and you need to purposefully examine the world and the word, and you need to look. And then worship is our part. This is the discipline. And out of that worship flows our third spiritual discipline, and that's celebration. See, I'm finishing on a party note. We started with solitude, and we're ending in celebration, okay? Uh, Celebration focuses on the greatness and the goodness of God to us. Typically, this means that we get together with other people who love God, and we eat, and we drink, and we sing, and we dance, right? And that's what I was talking about is, tell me what's happening in your life. That's amazing. And you, and you, let's celebrate. Let's worship God and celebrate. Let's have a party. Let's, we're having a lot of baptisms. We're going to have a baptism? Let's turn it into a party. Our church does that. I don't know how you guys do it, but we'll, we hire the taco man. We have baptisms. We hire the taco man. Invite your family. We're going to turn this into a party because that's what it is, right? So that's what the people of God do. Typically, we get together and eat, sing, and dance, and we tell our stories about what God's done for us. Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says, well, 1 and 4, for everything there is an appointed time, and an appropriate time for every activity on earth. Not everything is appropriate at every time. There, and it says in verse 4, there's a time to cry and a time to laugh, and a time to grieve and a time to dance. Right? There's that balance again. God is a God of balance. We need order and balance in life. This, the discipline of celebration is the great antidote, antidote to despair and doubt. Oh, I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm crushed. 
right now by, by what's happening in my life. I, don't, I doubt that, what, that God is doing anything or that he does anything in anyone's life. Then you need to celebrate. You need to have people tell you what God is doing in their lives and their life. Because all you know is what's happening in yours. You get real internal. All I know is what's happening in mine and what I know is nothing is happening in mine. So that must mean God's not real or is, is not doing things or can't do things. But if you start sharing and have a celebration to share it, then you go, well, I guess I was wrong. I guess I wasn't. Just because it's not happening here doesn't mean it won't ever happen. And it doesn't mean that it can't happen. But let's, and I'll tell you how to get out of despair, celebrate other people's victories. That is a way to live Christ's life. What is John chapter 2? It says that uh, one of the first things John, or that Jesus does is he goes to a wedding. He goes to a wedding because he was there to celebrate a marriage. He brought his disciples, his mom's there. I'm here at the celebration of other people, not me. It's not his celebration. It's not Jesus' party. It's someone else's party. And he says, I'll be there to celebrate with you. It's not about me. It's about you. Let's celebrate you. Let's tell what's going on in your life. Uh, and it is also, uh, is celebration is the beginning of real gratitude. So if the worship team, if you guys want to come on up. And I think it's exciting, be, and this fits in really well, because worship is an expression of what we've learned about God. And I hope that we've learned something today about God's wisdom, who God is, and how he works in our lives. And now it's time for us to express the, the disciplines that I've talked about are God's counterbalances to misaligned lives. You guys, if you work on tires or whatever, you have to get tires balanced because they're out of balance. And the way you do it is by adding a weight. What I'm going to talk about is we need to take weight off. If the weights are messed up, everything's out of balance. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 says, what do we, we need to run this race of life. He's like, what do we need to do? He says, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us. Weight and sin are two different things. Can I emphasize that? What we're talking about today has not been, I need you to get rid of the sin in your life. No, some of the things that we're doing are not good and they are sinful. What I've said is, here are some wise things that you can do to get better and closer to God, and the sin will fall away. So we don't say, I need to get rid of this sin in my life, and I will do it right now. I will make that sin go away. No. <laughs> no. Um, it is not always sin that gets us misaligned. Dallas Willard, the disciplines often work in areas of our lives where it is a, it's not a sin to carry on the way we're doing. It's just unwise. Disciplines are not laws. They are wisdom. There is a difference between being sinful and being dumb. <laughs> And so, we're, we're, so what I'm encouraging you to do is to take on wise practices. Grow your tree, tend to your tree, the fruit does its thing. Don't make, you can't make fruit. Don't try to make fruit. Try to make the good tree. Some of these examples, there are dozens of other disciplines. I've just selected these six, three of letting go, three of taking on, of activity. And so I encourage you to try them, to try them in balance. Take on one, start small, but also then allow the others to celebrate. If you take on solitude, enter into study. If you take on silence, if you take on um, fasting, then celebrate and worship. You know, 
take that balance on. And so let's worship now. Hmm, why don't you join me and stand?